Good evening, or at whatever time of day you may be viewing this video class. This is class content for Wednesday, November the 18th, and we are in the book of Acts. This time, we'll go through chapter 2. We are taking one chapter each class. Believing that approach will help us get to the heart of the book of Acts. Before we get into the second chapter of Acts, this may help four fast facts written by Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke, written about 62 AD, as best as we can tell, certainly before 70 AD. The theme is Jesus Christ, who died but was raised from the dead to establish his church, his kingdom, composed of people who trust and obey him. Number four, the primary carriers of this message in the first century, the apostles of Christ who were empowered for their work through the Holy Spirit. And there can be no doubt people who became Christians shared the message with others. In chapter one, Luke reports that Jesus told the apostles to wait in Jerusalem. They are to wait for a promise to be fulfilled, a promise he made only to the apostles that they would be baptized in the Holy Spirit to equip them to carry the gospel into the world. At the end of chapter one, therefore, the apostles are doing what the Lord told them to do, they are waiting for that power Jesus had promised that would come upon them. And here's what happened. I'm in Acts chapter 2, reading the verses that begin at the top of the chapter down through verse 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I'm at verse 5 in Acts 2. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, 
saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. So Pentecost arrived. That was a Jewish festival in the Old Testament called the Feast of Weeks. It came at the end of the harvest. You can read of that in Leviticus 23, 15 and Deuteronomy 16, 9. This Pentecost was not like any other before or after. On the first day of the week, this mighty rushing wind, tongues of fire appear. And just as Jesus had said and had promised, the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit. Please don't miss this point. No one was ever commanded to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Baptism with the Holy Spirit was a promise to the apostles to equip them to deliver the gospel. The baptism that is commanded of people who hear the gospel is water baptism, the one baptism according to Ephesians 4 and verse 4. Baptism with the Holy Spirit was a promise, and we see here in Acts chapter 2 on Pentecost, that promise fulfilled for the men to whom it was made, the apostles. What did the Holy Spirit do for these apostles? One example is immediately given. The Holy Spirit enabled these men to speak in languages they had not learned. There were people present from all these different places named. There was no time to go to language school. The Holy Spirit dealt with that linguistic barrier by enabling the apostles to speak in the languages of those present. This was an amazing thing to the people, except for some who said they are filled with new wine. Now let's see what else the Holy Spirit enabled the apostles to do, Peter in particular. I'm going to continue reading now in Acts chapter 2 at verse 14, reading down through verse 21. Acts 2, 14 through 21. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass 
that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, this is not the main body of Peter's sermon, not yet. This is Peter's explanation of what is happening, and he gives evidence from prophecy, quoting from Joel. So God had long ago planned all this, and through the prophets in the Old Testament, God had said this would happen. The Messiah would come, the kingdom would be established, open to all men. In almost cryptic language, apocalyptic language, often used in prophecy, God had said, this day is coming, the day of the Lord. And this is important, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What that phrase means is illustrated over and over in Acts 2 and all the way through the book of Acts when people obey the gospel. Next, we have Peter's sermon, Acts 2, 22 through 36. Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, Peter is continuing here. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence, about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. I'm at verse 36 in Acts chapter 2. Peter said, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, 
this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, let's take a closer look at Peter's sermon. He begins with an affirmation or a proposition. An affirmation or a proposition that is this. Jesus of Nazareth is approved and attested by God. The signs and wonders he performed. Those were demonstrations from God that this is the promised Messiah. But the Jewish leaders took Jesus, and just as God knew they would do because of their hearts, they killed him. But God raised him up. I would mark those four words in verse 24. Remember from chapter 1 that Jesus showed himself alive by many proofs after his death. Here is another affirmation of his resurrection. God raised him up. This is what David had prophesied. And Peter gives that prophecy here. Later, I'll have a little more to say about David's prophecy. Peter's sermon, based on David's prophecy, leads him to announce Jesus was not left dead, not abandoned. His flesh did not see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. And Peter brings his sermon to a close this way. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the promise, I'm sorry, received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Conclusion, verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. The problem is, the problem is, one recent example was they had killed the approved Messiah God sent. The solution to that sin and all sin provided by a gracious God. Jesus died but was raised from the dead and now occupies his exalted place at the right hand of the throne of God as both Lord and Christ. Now, the next part of this is crucial. The next part of this is crucial. Those who were listening to Peter with good and honest hearts wanted to know, what do we need to do? Verses 37 through 41. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, 
everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I've just read Acts 2, 37 to 41. See, the people knew, listening to Peter, they needed to do something. They had crucified the Son of God. They were guilty of other manners of sin. They had been wrong. Jesus died for them to be forgiven, but was raised and exalted. So what do we need to do about this? That was the question. And Peter answered, repent and be baptized. Since Christ is who he is, died, was raised to the right hand of God, and we are guilty, what do we need to do? The Holy Spirit inspired the answer, repent and be baptized. You see how simple this is. But let's go another step. We're in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. What do you do after you're baptized? What do you do after you're baptized? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Now, do you remember the concept of kingdom? We talked about briefly back in chapter 1. Now what we see is citizens of the kingdom together. People have been baptized. They're Christians now. They associate with one another. They're devoted to the teachings of the apostles. And day by day, this process of continuing to preach the gospel and people continuing to respond goes on. That's Acts chapter 2, which can be called the beginning. And the group of people who respond are citizens of this new kingdom, stated in other terms, members of the church, the body of Christ. I have two details to deal with and then our takeaways. There is a significant translation difference I want to call attention to. I'll just be brief here. In verse 27 and 31 in the English Standard Version, New King James and New American Standard, the word is Hades, meaning the realm of the dead, so rendered in the NIV. Only in the King James there is the word hell. Admitting that I'm not a biblical language expert, from all I'm able to determine, the King James has it wrong. Jesus did not go to hell. 
He went into the realm of the dead. Hades and hell are not the same. Different words, different places. Jesus did not go to hell when he died. He went to the realm of the dead called Hades. In fact, we can be more specific. In another passage, Jesus said where he went. To the thief on the cross, he said, this is Luke 23, 43, today you shall be with me in paradise. All right. One more detail. Then my takeaways. I think we should mark the difference between Holy Spirit baptism that was for the apostles and the gift of the Holy Spirit, which goes to every obedient believer. Holy Spirit baptism does not pertain to every single believer. We do, however, upon baptism, enter into a relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, indicated in Matthew 28, 19. The gift of the Holy Spirit, every Christian has, takes in, I believe, all the blessings and benefits of being a child of God, described in the Word of God. To put a finer point on that has eluded me. Takeaways. Time for our takeaways. Number one, human wisdom and ingenuity and human memory was not sufficient for the apostles to reveal the will of Christ. God doesn't take something as important as the salvation of souls and just turn that job over to men and let men figure it out to make decisions, come up with a plan, and decide on conditions. So not only did God create the plan to save us, not only did Jesus live and die to execute that plan, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to the apostles to equip them for the task, to give them the exact message, to guide them to speak and write what we have today. One of the problems with the huge religious institutions of men is they are of men. When we use the New Testament, we are not using something of human origin. Human wisdom and ingenuity and human memory was not sufficient to provide what we need and what we have from God. Number two, Jesus' death and resurrection happened on earth. And certainly it involved really bad choices on the part of the men who killed him. But God knew this would happen and used these events for the benefit of the world. God's foreknowledge is affirmed in Peter's sermon. It will always be something of a mystery to us since we are fallible humans. The fact is God can see and know what will happen before it happens. And the other fact, along with that, is God can use events on earth as components in his plan. It is a marvelous thing that God can do and has done for us to be forgiven of our sin and be ready to be with him forever someday. Number three, when people hear the gospel, there's something to do. Isn't that simple? 
but it's right here on the page. The people wanted to know what to do, and Peter told them. In a sermon a few weeks ago, I mentioned the popular sinner's prayer. You will see on Facebook, on the internet, and printed material, the sinner's prayer. There is no sinner's prayer in Acts 2. Believers were told to repent and be baptized. Faith, repentance, and baptism. It should be easy if we can get the attention of our friends and neighbors to show them from this passage, there is something to do, and God has said what to do to be recipients of his grace and be saved. The gospel is for all. The Jews in Jerusalem, about 3,000, became Christians. Peter made it clear the same offer would be made to all men, all who are far off. The phrase, whom the Lord our God calls to himself, simply means God calls sinners through the gospel. Any who hear the gospel can respond and, of course, should. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. People who are convinced that society is corrupt have only one alternative to save themselves from that corruption. The answer is the gospel of Christ heard, believed, and obeyed. Divine authority is conveyed to us through the apostles' teaching, not through the Pope or a creed book, not through some human conferences of elected religious leaders. Divine authority is conveyed to us through the apostles' teaching that we have preserved in the New Testament. That means for something to be scriptural, the New Testament is the book to consult. And then number seven, Christians together. So many people wear the name Christian, but they have no interest in ever meeting or even being with other Christians. They call themselves Christians, but there is simply no interest, no commitment to be an active part of a local church, attend assemblies, read the Bible, and engage in other disciplines God has given for his people. These first Christians knew they needed to be together, form local churches, and follow the teachings of the apostles of Christ, saints together. We're going to see that all through the book of Acts. One phrase captures Acts chapter 2. Verse 36, Peter said, God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. We hope he is your Lord. Thank you for being with us.